Hello, welcome back to Scuttlebutt, a Marine Corps Association podcast. I'm Nick. I'm here with Vic. Hey. And Will's, Will's back this week. Howdy. Hey, full house. <laughs> yeah. No, you guys may have seemed like I was like dead or something last week. Oh, yeah. We miss him. Like, we were talking about your youthful energy and your your joie de vivre. You're like, what, like five years older than me? Like. It makes a difference when you cross the thirty line. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I'm, 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 I'm sprinting there. Hey man, you, you were, you were thoroughly and genuinely missed. And yeah. you, you, you quoted one of my favorite quotes, which is like, you know, that like really brought I like think a tear I to my eye. I butchered it though. Oh yeah, but it's, yeah. I, I'm probably butchering it. Yeah. So I think, I think at this point, the listeners have realized that more times than not, at least from this microphone. I just open my mouth and stuff just comes tumbling out. Sometimes it's gold. More times than not, you want to bag it up. No, and, give yourself a little credit, but <laughs> as as we always say to our dear uh, listeners, please, for the love of God, do your research on anything we say, even if we are right, because then you learn stuff, and it's great for everyone. Yeah. And call us on it. Yeah. You know what we didn't do? We didn't call our listeners dear listeners, because that is something William does. Man. <sighs> and you know what? I'm sure it was felt. Yeah. It was like a... Sort of a symbiotic, like mm. they need to drop. feel like they're loved, you know, because yep. they are absolutely. We f- we failed you, and I'm sorry. It's it for at least for a week. Now we're back. All right, but uh, we have a pretty long interview today with uh, Army Colonel retired James Driscoll, yep, um, former Pentagon chaplain, yep. And this was a really timely one this month, and I kind of didn't realize it as I listened to it the first time. Was he talks he talks about diversity for a good like solid fifteen minute chunk in sure. there, and what better month to talk about diversity than Black History Month? Yeah, absolutely, and and, and he he definitely addresses um, you know, religious pluralism, which mm-hmm. can in certain circles be a lightning rod topic. But I think he did such a great job of articulating the benefits of it, not just and not to say that the commandant and assistant commandant are using them as talking points. I think they've explicitly said that they, they are not. But there is this tendency and and we talk about institutions, trusted institutions, from the outside looking in that this is things that they're supposed to say. And I've really felt like uh, Colonel Driscoll addressed these issues in a very genuine and a very caring way and, and in a way that paid due to the contribution of diverse thought, and th- that comes obviously from spiritual mm-hmm. background and ethnicity. diversity as a strength rather than rather mm-hmm. than a perceived weakness. For sure, for sure, and that that idea, and I, and I know um, both of our previous speaker or interviewees mentioned this, but that idea that through pluralism, the role of the chaplain is as a facilitator and a, a resource, not as a sort of pigeonholed, hey, this is what my faith does. If you're not a part of my faith group, I can't, there's nothing I can do for you. It was, it's really, I, I really felt like this is a nice progression in that progr- professionalism of caring. Um, so Colonel Driscoll, um, and for those who aren't aware of who he is, just really quick, he is, um, I think his actual title is uh, assistant to the president of Wesley Theological Seminary, but his actual role is as the director of the military chaplaincy um, doctorate program at Wesley Theological Seminary. And so, uh, as we mentioned, he's been uh, the chaplain of the Pentagon. Um, He served as a reserve uh, army officer. He was augmented. He he served on IMA billet and stayed. Um, He was uh, chaplain to uh, uh, U.S. Forces Europe. 
Um, and he's a hospital chaplain down at Chesapeake Bay, uh, down south of Virginia. Um, and so his ministry is uh, very diverse. And so, um, but yeah, especially as someone who's in the in the role of developing chaplains, I thought it was really important to get with him and get some of his thoughts on on chaplaincy. So I thought it was really, really yeah. informative. And uh, it was it's really good listening to it after the first two interviews, I think, because he kind of takes everything that um, we've already heard and just kind of takes it to that 200-level course, I think. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Um, I liked how he was, talk- he was talking about, you know, he'd go out to the field with his reserve unit, but then if they're still on the field, he had to come back Saturday night prep for his Sunday service because he's still the pastor mm-hmm. of his congregation and then would go back out to the field uh, after it was over. So I thought that was an interesting uh, dynamic to um, what a, a pastor who is also a reserve chaplain has to do. I thought it was pretty cool. All right. Well, without any further ado, part three of our four chaplain series, um, Past Vic and uh, Chaplain Driscoll, take it away. The SS Dorchester, a civilian liner converted for military service, left New York on January 23, 1943, en route to Greenland, carrying approximately 900 personnel and crew. It was part of a convoy of three ships escorted by Coast Guard cutters Tampa, Escanaba, and Comanche. During the early morning hours of February 3rd, off Newfoundland in the North Atlantic, the vessel was torpedoed by the German submarine U-223. Chaplains George Fox, Alexander Good, Clark Poling, and John Washington helped the men board lifeboats and gave up their own life jackets when the supply ran out. The chaplains joined arms, said prayers, and sang hymns as they went down with the ship. I'd like to welcome everybody to uh, another um, Scuttlebutt interview. And um, today I am so honored to have uh, retired Colonel James Driscoll. He is currently um, the um, special assistant to the president, um, an adjunct professor at Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, DC. Um, He has served um, as the Army Chief of Chaplain Staff um, from 2015 to 2019. Um, he was uh, U.S. Central Command Deputy Command Chaplain, 2014 to 2015, and uh, Army Reserve Chaplain, also uh, clergy within the United Methodist Church, and um, chaplain at the uh, Chesapeake Regional uh, Healthcare Center. Um, sir, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And thank you. Thank you so much, Vic. It's great to be here, and I am looking forward to our conversation. Been looking forward to it uh, for several months now and this is great that we can can get together today and do this yeah absolutely um just so our listeners have a little bit of context so um i as part of my mfa program i attended a few classes over at uh wesley theological seminary in their religion arts department and was introduced to your uh, military chaplaincy program just sort of by proxy but um, when everyone found out that i was a retired marine everyone you know, wanted to mention that to me, and I thought that was super cool, um, uh, but really hadn't uh, really started delving into it much, um, and then thought uh, 
one of the things I'd like to do with the show is to introduce our listeners to the military chaplains, what military chaplains do. Um, you know, obviously every unit has a chaplain, but I don't know if a whole lot of people really fully grasp what it is that a chaplain does for their unit, um, for the service. And so I reached out to uh, Colonel Driscoll and he was kind enough to sit down with me and we had a few conversations and I'm like, sir, I need to get you on the show. And so thank you so much for being here. This is this has really been a great and it's been uh, really fun getting to know you. And, and so I'm looking forward to this. Fantastic. Thank, and thank you. Thank you. I enjoy getting to know you and uh, look forward to look forward to what we have to, to share and and uh, it should be a great experience. This, uh, Absolutely. It's time that we're together. Fantastic. Yes, sir. Fantastic. And as we've talked about, um, you're going to you. This is all part of our four chaplain series. And um, we are talking and celebrating the service and the sacrifice of the four chaplains um, uh, during this time period where, um, you know, we are looking and exploring issues, themes of faith and service and the military. Um, so, sir, I, I know I just sort of prattled on with some of your uh, accomplishments and your sort of your CV, if you will. But, sir, if you sure. wouldn't mind taking a little bit of time and just sort of walking us along your path and how you came to be uh, where you are now. Sure, sure. OK, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And if I get too uh, wordy or start going down some rabbit trails here or something, uh, just go ahead and uh, so this is scuttlebutt. We our, our backbone is rabbit trails. So let's, okay. let's dive okay. in. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. So, so uh, I I have come through a path of chaplaincy that's been uh, as a local church pastor and a National Guard slash Reserve chaplain. That's been been sort of my my path that I have taken. Uh, believe it or not, for 36 and a half years I I did did this and wow. so uh, yeah a lot of people aren't even 36 and a half years old and I've been <laughs> being a uh, being a chaplain for for that long or a chaplain chaplain candidate I guess it it, it, it and I look back I was thinking about what I was going to say about this and I have to go all the way back to to growing up uh, in a uh, small community in western Pennsylvania active in a church being nurtured by parents, uh, caring parents, my father, my grandfather, a pastor of the church, and and uh, in in all of that, uh, growing in a in a faith, being grounded in a faith that uh, that shaped my life and 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 nurtured my life and connected me to God and and to Jesus, and at the same time, developing a a sense of of service and a spirit of service that really became part of my identity. And I, it's interesting, my father, my father died in, in December. Uh, oh. Well, that's a little under a year ago. And, and uh, in the okay. process, uh, I, I, I've uh, been thinking about him. And, and of course, he was very active in our community and the local newspaper interviewed me about him so that they did an article about him. And of course, writing his obituary and so forth. And the thing that, as I was thinking about my father, that kept coming up again and again and again, was uh, that his whole life was about service, service to the community, service to the to the nation. He spent a few years in the Navy uh, during the Korean War, and and 
And then I thought, well, looked at the my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and I thought, well, that's sort of been a theme of our family has been serving in some in some way. And so I thought that's been uh, part of who I was from the, from the beginning, nurturing uh, the idea of service, offering back to a community, to an organization, to something bigger than than myself. And and so that's been a part of who I am combined with a, a, a faith that has led me to where I am today to the point where I still try to uh, live out and embody that kind of service. And so that, that um, I guess, combining both of that those together, then military seemed like a great place to be able to do that service. My dad talked so, so powerfully about his, his time serving uh, the four years while he was in the Navy. And I thought, you know, I want to do something military to, to serve and to give back. And, and I want to serve, serve God, serve God and country. And so I, I began while I was in college exploring a sense of calling to, to ministry and, and came to, to realize that, that in order to be a minister, I would have to go on to seminary to get a master's of divinity degree to become a, uh, pastor in the United Methodist Church, and discovered that while I was in seminary, I could be commissioned as a second lieutenant in a chaplain candidate program with the, uh, with the Army. So, so uh, that, and that program is still out there. So for folks that are thinking about uh, ministry, all the services, Army, Navy, Air Force, all have a chaplain candidate program where you can be commissioned as an O-1 uh, and, and start out at the very basics of a of a military career and so I was a second lieutenant while I was in seminary at, at Wesley Seminary I did one year of seminary at Ohio but then I came to Wesley and you know to see that I'm still uh, connected to Wesley is very uh, that's very meaningful to me to continue to have that connection but I came to Wesley went to Virginia Tech undergraduate with the Corps of Cadets that was another part of that service experience as well and and then uh Wesley Seminary coming through as a as a chaplain candidate and uh, following through my ordination in the United Methodist Church, I, I thought at that time that I would want to get out of seminary and become an active duty chaplain. That was in my mind that I would serve in that way. But part of the requirement to be a uh, pastor in the United Methodist Church is a couple of years of practical experience after the education. So finished my seminary and I was assigned to a little country church in Winchester, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, north, northwest corner of Virginia, uh, west of Washington, D.C., west of where you live, I think. Of, yeah, uh, yeah, not too far though. Yeah, yeah. So I was was a country church outside of Winchester and I went there and uh, was doing that and, and serving at that time in the National Guard. I started with the Maryland National Guard, ended up from there into the Virginia National Guard and uh, and found that that connection for me just worked. I was ministering at a local church, loving a congregation of, of good people, and you know, once a month going and 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 being with the soldiers in the woods or at drill or the, the two weeks in the summer, and and so that was the the traveling candidate program is a reserve or national guard program and so by the time i was ordained and quality quality qualified to be uh, a full-fledged chaplain 
I was finding meaning and balance by being a local church pastor and a National Guard uh, citizen soldier chaplain. And so, so that just worked for me. And I just continued that relationship all through my military career, various times being being mobilized or used in an active capacity for one way or another, but by and large, finding a balance between a local church and military. And uh, sometimes that was a juggling act. Sometimes it meant being in the field late at night and leaving and driving home late at night so I could do a service in my church the next morning <laughs> and going back out to a armory in the afternoon. I mean, it was just a... Uh, a, a balancing act over the years, but it was just just rich and and the ministry, the ministry on the army side of things, uh, complemented what was going on in the church, and I felt like I could take things from my church back to the army side of things. And so, so I guess kind of what this is is a uh, recruiting uh, moment to say uh, chaplains consider being a reserve or national guard chaplain. It combines great with other ministries, whether it's in a uh, local church or some other setting. So, so uh, over the years, I, I have served as pastor of several churches around Virginia, and at the same time, still continued with either uh, the Virginia National Guard, uh, went, went for a period of time uh, to the D.C. National Guard. The D.C. National Guard has a great, great National Guard, and, and whenever I was senior enough to be eligible to be a command chaplain, uh, 06 chaplain, DC was in need of a 06 chaplain to come be their joint force command chaplain. And so they reached across the river to uh, Virginia and invited me to come over to DC. And so that's where I became a command chaplain in the Washington DC National Guard. After uh, my, my service of that went into the reserves, into their IMA program, Individual Mobilization Augmentee, and worked in the Chief of Chaplain's Office in an IMA status for a few years until in 2014 I got mobilized into an active status where I remained until 2019 when, when it was time to hit a mandatory retirement date and, uh, and now here I am. So, so that's kind of uh, uh, my story. I could say more about, you know, the Virginia Guard or the DC Guard. I probably can say more about some mobilizations that I that I had that were in there. But uh, I'll just pause there and see if there's if that's kind of what you need to know. If there's anything else uh, where where I should uh, go from here. No, thank you so much for that. That's really fascinating. Um, I like that uh, citizen soldier chaplain. That sounds like a movie title. We're at the mm, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yes. But one of the things I wanted to, and just listening to your, um, to sort of your path uh, through your career is one of the things that strikes me in a, in a devotional I was listening to recently, they talked about how Jesus was always busy, but never in a hurry. Hmm. Um, hmm. Could you talk a little bit about what that was like then um, having to sort of uh, balance or, or juggle those three things of being a citizen you know, having your uh, pastoral duties to your uh, civilian congregation, then having your ministry duties to your guard unit, and then also having to be a soldier. I mean, that that you know, you're in uniform. You gotta you gotta get get in the mud with with right. the troops. So, right. uh, what was right. that like? 
Yeah, it was, it, it was so, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, it just has been the most awesome experience of my life to be able to, to have that. And, 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 and it makes me very uh, unique in some ways because among clergy, uh, there really are very few who, who take that path of uh, balancing a, a, a civilian ministry with a uh, military ministry. And so there were very, very few uh, who knew exactly what, what my life was like and what the, those, those challenges and those blessings were. But, but one of the things about the military ministry was that I, the ministry happened uh, with, the, with, with the soldiers, with, with the troops. And if they were out on a bivouac of some kind, if they were headed on a road march, if they were on the range, I was there with them. And that was just tremendous to be taking ministry to where the people were. In my local church, I ministered on Sunday mornings. I visited people in the hospital. I sometimes went and saw them in their homes, but very rarely was I sitting with them, you know, in <laughs> in the workplace. I mean, yeah. just, that just is not what we do as the uh, pastor of, of a church. But as a chaplain, uh, we are with people in the workplace, uh, providing support, providing encouragement, providing the, the, the comfort, being there for joys, being there for challenges and so so that was that was that was great and i also need to add that the other piece in there being balanced was my family right. and uh mentioned that yeah <laughs> my, my wife uh i'm so blessed because she came from a family where her dad came up through the national guard and so her whole life as a child had dad going off on weekends and going away for time in the summer and so she knew the routine and the rhythm of that and so it was just natural for her to continue and accept that for our family and and so she was the one that sort of has held it all together for our family but but i i must say in, in doing that there are many many times when you know we'll be together and she'll be saying i remember the time we did this or that and i'll say i don't remember that and she's oh no that's because you were <laughs> off at annual training or you were at your <laughs> weekend you missed that birthday party or you missed that uh you know family gathering or, or something. And so, so part of it is uh, uh, being accepting of the fact that you do have times uh, away, whether it's, you know, on a smaller sense of a weekend here and there or uh, of a, a uh, full-blown mobilization and, and, and deployment. And, and, and I have to add in there, and, and I can talk about this, I've had some mobilizations and, I, and they were very unique mobilizations that I can, can tell you about, but but mine were never uh, being mobilized to actually be sent to the to the uh, theater, if you will. I've always been mobilized into a into a, a, a support setting, into a, a means of making sure the ministry got done and facilitating the ministry that was was happening out there. And uh, not that I wasn't standing by ready and, and willing to go, but every time the call came, it was we need you to step in and cover this or do this in order that. That, that can happen out out there. So, so uh, and and like I said, most recently from 2014 to 2019 in the CENTCOM and and Pentagon headquarters. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is, um, you know, stories matter. Everybody's stories matter. And um, yeah, so I really appreciate um, you giving us that sort of headquarters and support aspect of uh, of service and, and of ministry. I think those things are important. Um, one of the things I did want to ask is, um, were was there any much overlap? Like how much I don't want to imply that uh, you know you preach the gospel differently, uh, but at the same time, are there certain things that resonated more with the troops that wouldn't resonate with your uh, with your parish or vice versa? Are there lessons learned here that like, hey, this really worked with the troops, and then oh well, it didn't really work with my with my uh, you know my civilian uh, congregation or or anything like how much um, I guess. Uh, yeah, overlap was there, uh, or was that was it sort of like I have here I'm a soldier, here I'm a pastor. Right, right. Uh, yeah, interesting, interesting to to think about that that overlap. Uh, when I was with the troops, when I am with when chaplains with the troops, one thing about it is that we go there and we are there for for everybody. And so, so I'm going in, having been uh, approved by the, 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 whatever the endorsing body they call it, the, the agency that sends you, the Methodist Church in my case, has, has said I'm somebody that they want to go out and do this extension ministry. And so I go out and, and do that. And, and I wear a cross on my, on my collar. The rabbis wear a, a tablets, the imams wear their symbol. But, but the fact of it is that I'm going into that setting to be there for everybody and to provide for everybody. And, and so that is one thing that is unique about chaplaincy. And if I, if I have a Christian service, obviously uh, I'm preaching about Jesus, but if I've got some Jewish soldiers in my unit or some Islamic soldiers or any other faith group or non-faith group, my, role isn't to go there to convert them to my faith group but it's to go and be there so that i can ensure that they have the chance to practice their faith whatever that may be and that could be uh finding a rabbi somewhere that i'm going to bring out to a situation to be there with with the jewish soldiers or getting a group of uh soldiers that need a catholic mass taken into a nearby uh, Catholic church so they can can go to mass. And so so it's a, that, that's one piece that that there's overlap to the extent that I'm doing my Christian ministry with the Christians that are there, but the chaplain work is so much broader than that because we are to find ways to provide for and and support, uh, all of those others who are in our in our in our formations and, and as diverse as that that might be. So so that's one thing in the local church that you know I'm I'm focused on caring for a Christian congregation and I'm going in on Sunday mornings and and conducting my Christian service. But when I'm in the military setting, it's a much broader ministry that is taking place among a much greater 
mix of people. And, and I found the diversity to be very, very powerful, very enriching to me to go into that, that diversity, whether it was, you know, my, my churches were always usually uh, uh, middle class, uh, white folks. Uh, unfortunately, our churches uh, tend to kind of congregate a, uh, along those, those groups and, and those settings. But when I would go off to be in an army setting, you know, when I was the command chaplain in Washington, D.C. and went into the inner city of D.C. to be with my, with my troops there, well, I had an entirely different uh, demographic of folks who were in my parish there in, in D.C. that was just so en enriching to me. And, and then I found that I could bring that, that experience back to the church, to the place where I came back richer and, and, and stretched from having been with a, a diverse group of people and bring that to the, to the parish. And so, so the two, uh, there was an interplay between the two. And, and then another thing that, that is a sort of, sort of a side uh, benefit that, that I found was very interesting was that, that there were certain people in my church, oftentimes men who maybe didn't have much of a interest in or didn't really feel that they connected with the, the, the pastor, the preacher, you know, that, that just, that they just didn't have a need for that. Or maybe they didn't come to church, but their, their wife did. And, and they felt like, you know, that that was maybe not a uh, part of their life. But Many times these men were, were, were veterans. A lot of them had served maybe, you know, they were of, of a Korean or Vietnam uh, vintage in my, in my parishes. And when they found out that I was in the military, well, that just created mm -hmm. a bridge, took down a wall. And I can't tell you how many times there were people that if I didn't have the military, probably would not have had much need for me other than to say hello but because of the military ended up with conversations and interactions and meals together and and ministry moments with them that never would have been there if 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 i didn't have this and it just for many people gave me a a, a legitimacy or a respectability that uh that, that just i i think of it time and time again when when uh, it just created a, a bridge and, and even, even does, uh, even now it's interesting because I, in addition to my work at Wesley, I, I work in a local hospital here in Chesapeake, Virginia part-time and my name badge uh, that, I, that I wear says veteran on it. And you'd be amazed at how many times I go into a patient's room and they look at that and they say, Chaplain, you're a, you're a veteran. And, and uh, of course, here in the Norfolk area, many wow. people are veteran yeah. Navy folks. And so immediately there's a connection and a legitimacy. And, you know, a lot of the initial work of trying to build a bridge is, is done. And I've already got a connection with those folks. So that military chaplaincy background has built many, many, and so continues to, to build bridges. Wow, that that's really great. I you know I hadn't even thought really of that um, how community and that sense of community, that sense of belonging, um, really opens up 
for uh, a deeper relationship and sort of like you said sort of fast forwards a lot yeah. of the yeah. getting to know you stuff and these sort of apprehensions you know like right. oh, hey, chaplain you know <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. i'm yeah. good i'm good you know but that other than that then yeah those walls do come down i right. hadn't there's a legitimacy that is, is conferred that usually would take a long time to earn or build up and yeah yeah that relationship is almost already established yeah yeah that's really that's really great. Um, we we mentioned um, some of your past, and what we had talked uh, in a previous conversation. I just wanted you to share wanted to share this story with our listeners. But um, can you talk a little bit about the time that you got on one of your IMA billets uh, when you showed up at the Pentagon, and uh, some of the news that they dropped on your lap within the first few moments that you were there? Sure, sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I one one of my mobilizations uh, was as the deputy Pentagon chaplain, and I was a uh, an IMA at that. I think that's what you're what you're referring. Yes, to. sir. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, I, I got the call as an IMA from the chief of chaplain's office, and and the, the call came in that the deputy Pentagon chaplain uh, was going to be sent forward there was a need in Iraq someone had had to come home because they were sick or somehow couldn't complete their tour one of the chaplains there and so the quickest way to respond to that and the quickest person that they could get up and in processed and sent out was the, the person that was serving as the deputy pentagon chaplain and uh and and just as a way of background because many people don't realize there is a a chaplain's office in the pentagon that is uh, basically the base chaplain, the post chaplain of the Pentagon, the, the chaplain, the deputy chaplain, a NCO, and uh, and that is is uh, their ministry, and and they minister to the Pentagon, provide all the same services that you would get from your base chaplain at, at Quantico or at Fort Belvoir or wherever uh, to the Pentagon, and uh, and that's a separate function from you know there's chaplains in the Pentagon who are there working for the chief of chaplains doing the administrative duties and the recruiting duties and sure. all of that. But but the, the Pentagon chaplain's office is the chaplain to the to the Pentagon. And so got this call to uh, go and be the, the deputy Pentagon chaplain for a period of about six months. And, and so this, this was going to be this was this was just an opportunity that whenever the call came that I just couldn't believe because it was to, to as a reservist to get to go and work in the Pentagon like this was such a unbelievable experience and so so I, I show up and I'm gonna gonna go and and get oriented to the to the job there and uh, Chaplain Ralph Benson was the Colonel of the 06 who was the Pentagon chaplain and he'd been around the army for a long time. He'd been actually Pentagon chaplain during uh, 9-11 and was in the midst of all of the tragedy there. And, uh, or I think he came shortly after 9-11. I don't think he was the one there at that time. It came after, in any case, he had a long, long history and, and was much loved and, and so forth. And so, so I show up and uh, I'm, I'm orienting with him and he says, there's one thing that I need to tell you. He said, <laughs> Uh, I am uh, 
in, in a couple of weeks, beginning my terminal leave. I'm retiring. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So, so you've been mobilized to come and be the deputy, but <laughs> you are actually the acting uh, Pentagon chaplain for the next five or six months until my replacement uh, shows up on the ground and, and takes over. So, Welcome so aboard. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I was immediately thrust into a very uh, un unexpected, unbelievable, rich, meaningful ministry, uh, making sure that there are, are services, there are various services throughout the week that take place various days at the Pentagon. There are masses, there are Islamic services, there are people that drop by the office for pastoral counseling. There are many, many, many ceremonies that just about every ceremony that takes place in the Pentagon uh, needs an invocation or a benediction and, and the Pentagon chaplain's office provides those. And, and usually the people that are hosting those ceremonies are you know, some folks like the Secretary of the Army or Secretary of the Navy or something like that. So all of a sudden I'm coming in as a uh, reservist to be the deputy Pentagon chaplain and <laughs> uh, immediately become the acting Pentagon chaplain and, and it was it was a, a a surprise it was a little overwhelming and and it was a, a blessing that was so so rich that was experience that I wouldn't have had any other way and and I'm I'm as I think about it now just thankful thinking about that opportunity yeah that, that's a great story uh and I just um I don't want to say it's good to see but it we do in this case, I think, see that the uh, things don't change when you're in uniform just because you have a uh, cross or a uh, crescent moon on your collar. Right, right. <laughs> you are still a soldier. Yes. You're still an airman, you know, sailor, marine, and uh, yeah, this happens. I will. <laughs> I'll carry on and uh, carry on. We'll, 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 make, we'll make the mission. We'll make it happen. And, yes, sir. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit here, sir, and talk some about um, the themes of faith in the military. Obviously, as we celebrate the four chaplains, um, you know, service obviously comes to mind for sure. Um, but as we see with most narratives and stories that come from the military, the ones that are the most well-known, obviously, are the ones that have or, you know, exemplify heroism, sacrifice, uh, and sometimes the stories of those who are just nose to the grindstone, doing their thing to keep people alive, support the mission. Sometimes those stories do get a little lost, and I want to bring more of this awareness um, and more of this appreciation for what we all do uh, as men and women in uniform, uh, those of faith and those uh, not of faith, but these stories that matter um, to us all. And so could we talk a little bit then about what is the role of the chaplain corps? Right, right. Yes. And, and there in the, uh, in the army chaplaincy, what we, what we say, uh, our bottom line, uh, our bottom line up front uh, <laughs> is, uh, uh, we, we nurture the living, we care for the wounded, and we honor the dead. Nurture, care, and, and, and honor. And, and that, that, if you went around the Pentagon, 
and uh, outside on the hallway, outside of the chief, chief of chaplain's office, those words are prominent and, and other places there are plaques and there are, I don't think there are bumper stickers, but there are other other places where it would, would say say that, you know, in nurture, nurture the living, care for the dying, honor, honor the dead. And, and so basically that's in a nutshell, everything, everything that we, everything we do is around, around those things. And uh, we, uh, we, we have, a, have, have a calling to be there as, as a branch. We are about nurture, care, and, and honor. And, and, and you see it all the, all the time. The, you know, obviously the, the, uh, the story of the four chaplains is the, you know, the hallmark story of that happening in the, in mm -hmm. the military. And, and those chaplains were on that ship as it was going down and they were, they were caring and they were singing and they were praying and they were giving away their own life vests. And, and they were, they were diverse in doing that. They, they held hands, but you know, there was a, a rabbi and a Catholic priest and, and a Methodist and a reformed pastor. And they, they were the, the, the chaplains and in, in their last moments, uh, nurturing and caring for and, and and honoring and so so that's at the bottom line of, of what we what we do and and it's really i i am so blessed in the work that i do right now with wesley seminary because they've given me opportunity to work and nurture this program that is reaching out and, and supporting chaplains around the world and just this week i've had uh you know, um, to retire from the military and still have so much interaction with wonderful military folks as I am, am just so, so, so blessed to, to do that. And so this week I, I saw, uh, was in, in conversation with a chaplain that is going to take a class that I'm doing in January. And I reached out to her and she is in Ramstein in the Air Force base and she's an Air Force chaplain. Uh, and Jewish rabbi, and I think she might have been like the first female rabbi in the Air Force or something like that. And and so we were talking about the class, but then she was talking about how what she was involved with there at Ramstein most recently was receiving and being in ministry to uh, the Afghan refugees who are escaping, mm -hmm. being flown uh, from Afghanistan into Germany. And, and so she was involved in that. And then just last week, there was an article that was, was published and, and you might be interested in, maybe I even sent this to you, I'm not sure, it was a, published by the United Methodist News Service about an imam who was engaged in that same kind of mission. Well, it turns out that that imam is also one of our students. And so we've got in wow. the imam and the rabbi are both our students, my, our, my students, our students at Wesley Seminary, and uh, the the news actually did a feature service on this on this imam, and and I asked the rabbi, I said, uh, I said, do you by any chance know uh, Chaplain Ali, the imam? And she said, oh yeah, we're great friends. Our offices are in the same building. We have been ministering to these refugees together, and. Uh, 
the two of them did, are in different cohorts at Wesley, so they did not know that they were both Wesley students until uh, just just recently. And so they they've connected, and and they actually have a friendship that goes back a ways. And and so uh, in the process, though, though they're you know doing the work of ministry, uh, caring for the soldiers and airmen in the hospital, but then extending that to these refugees that are that are coming through and and uh, both of them ministering in, in this setting to, the, to these Afghanistan refugees and and so so that's you know and then and then another experience I had today was uh, zooming like like this with a Air Force chaplain who is a, a chaplain that I'm mentoring in our program and and we we're talking about the 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 uh, I'm going to be his reader for his doctoral dissertation, and we're talking about that, and and he was saying, yeah, he said I've had some uh, challenges keeping up with with some of the due dates and so forth for this, but I'm going to get on track. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen. But he said I unexpectedly though got the call from the Marine Corps. Uh, I was the closest chaplain when the, the ten service. Mm. Had were killed last month they they came to me because i was the closest chaplain to where his family or their family didn't, I didn't lived and so i did the death notification for that marine did the ramp service for that marine that's where the body is brought back and and given honors coming off of the plane and then actually did the military funeral for that for that Marine and ministered to that Marine's family. And so here's again, a, a chaplain, Air Force chaplain, uh, uh, nurturing and, and caring for and, and honoring during the, doing those, the, those three central things that, that chaplains do. And uh, it just has been such a, uh, such a privilege this week to talk to different chaplains who are in places as remote as, as Germany to I think this uh, other one was in the Midwest, and they're they're doing it cross culturally. They're doing it across branches. The Air Force chaplain caring for the Marine Corps, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and across faiths. I mean, oh, to yes. have a, a rabbi and imam ministering to Afghan refugees. I mean, that yes. is that is an amazing story. Yes, yes, and so so it just is so so much rich. Uh, opportunity and, and ministry that the chaplains get to uh, get to be a part of and and they the chaplains most of all the chaplains I've met take that role so seriously and take it to, to heart to make sure that 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 those core values are are carried out wherever they wherever they are Wow. Well, so, sir, um, and not to like ask you to list out a, you know, billet description per se on an evaluation, but so I think most, uh, at least for our listeners who have served, understand that a chaplain is a, you know, key staffed uh, unit, like you said, at a, at a base level, the Pentagon or, you know, Quantico, Pendleton, Fort Belvoir, et cetera, et cetera, Rammstein. Um, but I'm not sure that our, even for those who have served, fully understand what it is that a chaplain does, like what would be on a bill of description. So could you just, I guess, briefly 
sort of give an overview of like some of the implicit or explicit and implicit roles of a chaplain and what they provide to a commander uh, regardless of what sure, level. Sure, 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 yes, yes. And, and uh, they're obviously gonna be different as, as the, uh, as they go through the ranks, but at the very basic level, uh, chaplains are on the ground providing ministries to the troops, being with, with the troops in moments of, of uh, joy, moments of, of despair, taking services to them when you're, whether you're a reservist out in the woods through a, a summer annual training period or whether you're in the uh, remote uh, sections of Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, you need an opportunity to, to worship, to nurture your, your spirit and to, to uh, continue to practice the faith that is important to your life. And so the chaplains go and are, are there to provide that, provide that religious support, religious coverage, we call it, religious support, we call it. Uh, and, and that's the most basic level. And I've already mentioned how we are, we try to do that across, uh, across different uh, faith spectrums so that the United Methodist minister maybe finds a way for a rabbi to, to be uh, brought into the situation or a Catholic priest. And so we try to provide that to everybody. Uh, another piece of, of being there is a, uh, like a counseling and, and uh, coaching piece to, to soldiers. A lot of times soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines are, 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 are in places where they just, they need somebody to talk to. They need somebody to walk them away from a, a scary moment, uh, a moment. Sure, I mean, some of these young men and women, I mean, were just in high school, not too yes. long ago. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And so, so the, the chaplain is out there as a, as a listening ear, as an encourager, as a person that they can, can approach and can come to and can trust. Uh, we're outside the chain of the command. We are not, uh, part of the command structure. So you go to the chaplain, there's confidentiality there and, and you're not, it's not like going to a, you know, somebody that's, you know, the next level up in your, in your structure, that's going to need to report it to the next level up. Uh, it, you know, it comes to the chaplain, it, it, it stops with the chaplain. If uh, you just need to confide, the chaplain can be your, your confidential listener. So, so on the ground at that at that level, the chaplain is uh, is just a in in ministry and, and support to the troops. Uh, but on but then looking upwards, uh, not just you know the chaplain's not ministering downwards, but the chaplain is on the staff of a commander, whether that's a you know battalion commander, brigade, however far up that goes, uh, all the way up to the chief of chaplains being on the staff of the army chief of staff, uh, every role, every level has a, a chaplain related to a commander. And so the, the chaplain is in some ways a, uh, another eyes and ears of the, 
uh, of the commander, somebody out there that has is able to take the temperature of the uh, of the troops, uh, the climate, and advise the, the commander. Uh, in, in some ways in the in the army structure, it seemed like the chaplain and, and the sergeant major were the two people that the commanders usually relied on for that kind of uh, temperature because it seemed like the command the, the sergeant major and the chaplain were out and you know among everybody everywhere and they could come back and bring bring back things that the commander needs to be aware of. And so advising the, the commander, uh, and sometimes, as hard as it might be, a, uh, a you know very implicit piece of that advice to the commander is uh, uh, the, the the uncomfortable sometimes role of speaking truth to power. Mm. Could be there's yeah. a ethical issue, or there could be a, a challenge or a decision, and chaplain might have to say, "Sir, this you know this is hard for you to hear, but I you know need to." Step into my advising role and 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 advise you, you know, as your chaplain, as an ethical perspective, and and uh, need to speak truth to power. And hopefully, chaplains aren't afraid to to do that and are are willing to take on that prophetic role. That's a you know sort of a, a scriptural role that the the, the religious leader had a, a prophetic role to speak to a a. A leader in the in in government in the country, in the world, and so that's part of part of what we do. My, I have one one of my favorite uh, uh, commanders and, and mentors over the years that I still remain in touch with, uh, has said that said that the chaplain and sergeant major were always his two his two key officers, the two key people on his staff. He said that when he got into higher ranks. He also had to add the jag to that. Unfortunately, that happened to <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> the advisor that he needed to have yeah. uh, 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 real close, keep close as well. But uh, they just he just said that over the years, as on his staff, the chaplain and sergeant major were were key leaders yeah. that he depended on and needed to hear from. Yeah, they, that that's uh, they, that's very wise. <laughs> yeah. So you, yeah. you mentioned um, the chaplain. Obviously, is focusing focusing down also has to look up. Does a chaplain ever look out? And I guess what I mean by that is, is that, you know, obviously we see a lot of data of um, uh, religious affiliation sort of on the decline in the United States, but we see it increasing uh, almost across the board internationally. And as we deploy and we go into places of unrest and of, um, you know, where we're called to go, is the chaplain maintaining not only a pulse of the unit but also a pulse of the culture or is that something that would is not necessarily within the the role of what a chaplain is supposed to do right right and and that that is very true there the the, the chaplain does have a role of interreligious engagement uh intercultural engagement and and that was a piece that uh is very very important. One of the mobilizations I I had when in 2014 I began that that five year uh, stint. The first year I spent was as a deputy command chaplain at Central Command, and uh, Central Command is in 
Tampa, Florida. So that's where I, I went to our headquarters there. And uh, of course, yeah, for our listeners who aren't aware, CENTCOM covers all of the places that we've been over the last uh, 19, 20 years at this point. Yes. Yeah. So the whole, the whole middle, middle East is part of CENTCOM and very, very rich experience to go to CENTCOM again. I just, uh, the opportunities I've had to serve in places have been such a blessing. And, and there at Central Command, right next to the main command headquarters where everything, you know, Central Command happens and all of our generals are and so forth, right next to it is a whole uh, building, a series of buildings that are the coalition offices and you go in there and walking up and down the hall uh you go from you know from uh jordanian offices to uh mm -hmm. german mm -hmm. offices to uh british offices and it's it just everybody is, is is right there and that was part of my richest experience was to go and to engage with those folks from around the world and and take to get to know them and occasionally a, a chaplain or a religious leader from their uh, country would come to visit them and when that happened usually myself or or somebody from our team would go and have that interaction with that that religious leader and then uh, the other thing that happened very frequently chaplain waters who was the command chaplain my boss spent a lot of time over in the theater and a, a lot of what he was doing in the theater was engaging with uh, religious leaders over there. And he would go, uh, one of the biggest ones was in, engaging with uh, religious leaders in, in Jordan and in Qatar. And, and he would uh, have meetings with them and meals with them and build relationships with them. And so, especially at, at that more kind of strategic level, building those connections and those relationships was so, so critical. But I think uh, on, on the ground, uh, in theater, the chaplains there were doing the same kind of thing with religious leaders and people that they were dealing with from the, the countries where they were, were serving. So, so yeah, chaplains have that kind of a, that kind of a role. Uh, I was just yesterday on a, a Zoom call with a uh, colleague who is on the staff of, of US Army Europe. And so that's a headquarters in, in uh, Stuttgart, I think, in Germany. But in any case, he was just getting ready. He is a, a former West, he's a Wesley grad. He's on our board of governors, actually, and works in the chief, in, in the command chaplain's office for U.S. Army Europe. And they've tasked him to go to NATO countries and begin to have some dialogue on how to, uh, how to have more interaction and dialogue between between chaplains. And so, so yeah, our, our chaplains are always looking for ways to, to in, engage. And uh, an, another place where chaplains and, and Wesley Seminary uh, has been engaging uh, through the command chaplain of Africa Command, uh, who 
again, as another one of our doctoral students at, at Wesley, uh, brought the president of Wesley and a team of Wesley faculty into Zimbabwe last year, just, it was just pre-COVID, so of course they could do that, but pulled together uh, a, a cohort of chaplains from across Africa to interact with the Wesley faculty and be trained and experience some of what we teach at Wesley to chaplains uh, across uh, across Africa through through U.S. Army Africa Africa. So so yes, chaplains are finding ways to uh, do it, building connections for professional development for interoperability. Uh, interoperability meaning that. Uh, if we were in some situation and there was a chaplain there from from Germany, but chaplain from the U.S. was was far off, well, they could, you know, the, the German chaplain be prepared to cover for us, or or vice versa, uh, in in those kind of situations. So it's so cool. That's great. We've mentioned a few times, sir um, Wesley, and obviously I have. Um, I'm a fan. Yes, <laughs> yes. um, so can you talk to us a little bit about um, just sort of the process? Like how does someone become a chaplain? I know you'd mentioned that you were um, in the cadet program at uh, Virginia Tech. Um, is it is that how quickly it starts that just someone um, is in pursuit of a um, theological uh, academic career and then they decide, hey, I want to do this military ministry work as well? Or does somebody already have to be active duty and then they uh, sort of declare it and then shift over? Like, how, how does the process work? Sure, sure. And actually, and whenever I went through Virginia Tech, I ultimately, I was in the in, in the Corps of Cadets, but did not receive my commission through that. And, and, mm -hmm. and so, but I did have have some of that experience. But, but People who have not gotten a commission through ROTC or, or through an academy or something can receive a direct commission. And I got mine, my commission as a direct commission. It's a direct commission for chaplains and chaplain candidates who don't already have have a commission. And and uh, so you don't have to have your MDiv first. Not as a as a chaplain candidate, you have to be enrolled in MDiv studies. Okay. Or the equivalent. I, I you know, rabbis have right, right. And, and imams have their equivalent and, and so forth. But you'd be enrolled in the equivalent of the qualifying degree for your faith group. And so, so you're enrolled in that. You get a denominational or ecclesiastical, it's called a, a religious endorsement from your faith group. So there, and every faith group has a person or a team who provide these endorsements and usually they do interview either in person or by zoom and you go, th go through several uh, requirements that are set up by the religious group but they say yes you are endorsed to be a chaplain candidate and and so you have that it's a, a, actually a form that the a dd form that is is your it's always manager. a dd form yes yeah exactly exactly <laughs> right Right, and so you have that signed off by your religious uh, and, and group saying you are endorsed to be a chaplain candidate. And at the same time, hopefully I've been talking to a recruiter and uh, 
the recruiter is doing the military side of of things on the army side uh usually the recruiter uh you know does all the legwork getting together transcripts and that kind of thing but they also line the uh candidate up for a uh, 06 interview with a uh, chaplain colonel and so i have done quite a few of those over the years and, and met some outstanding folks but that's kind of the final piece to being a chaplain candidate is having that 06 interview uh along with this endorsement from your denominational background and, and then you can be commissioned and and if you've got prior service uh you get commissioned at a higher rank obviously if you are coming in just fresh as off the street as a civilian then you're commissioned as a as a uh one a second lieutenant or whatever the equivalent would be <laughs> i guess a uh ensign in the, in the navy mm -hmm. and and then you serve in in a uh reserve capacity while you're continuing your your studies and so and then once the once you've completed your studies completed your ordination or whatever it is your your religion has for your official standing to be a clergy person in that faith group then you come back and go through a whole nother process it's called a sessioning process through the military side of things maybe a uh, interview with a panel of chaplains and and review of your packet and then are offered a commission as a chaplain so it's it's not automatic the candidate doesn't automatically become a chaplain but but it rolls over into being a chaplain now not everybody becomes a candidate while they're in seminary there are some people that are that choose to come in later maybe they've actually been out of seminary for 10 years and have been serving in a church or a synagogue or something and they think that they would like to to uh, come into chaplaincy and there's a whole uh, a whole cadre of recruiters who are out there who are available to talk to these folks and take them to the process of being ultimately commissioned as a as a chaplain and uh, whatever paperwork and interviews and and, and so forth to do that but uh and is that that's is that a direct commission too so as soon as they get accepted and then uh are you know given the official you are a military chaplain now you're worldwide deployable or is there still a sort of scholastic process to get them up to speed on what a military chaplain is going to be doing? right right okay. yeah and usually usually those folks at that point they come in as a as a uh, O2. So the chaplain candidate is generally O1s. When you come in as a chaplain, you're an O2. And every branch, Air Force, Army, Navy, I, I won't say Marines because Marines drive, drive yeah. they pull their chaplains from the Navy. So all that's all right, sir. Yeah. Are, are Navy. But they all have a, a basic course. They've got a chaplain center at one point they were all co-located at fort jackson but now they've kind of spread back out and and only the army is at fort jackson anymore but you go to where your basic uh, uh chaplain school is and there's a chaplain basic course that, that you go through that teaches military bearing military standards how to function in the military since you're just coming out of a local situation in, in local church or, or military non-military setting 
And so uh, over a course of you know, three months, six months, whatever it is for each service, are brought up to speed with the basic uh, chaplain education. And then usually at some point after that, then brought up to being an O3. Very few chaplains stay O2 for very long. Most are, are around O3, but that comes after you've gone through this basic, basic course. And so unless there's a uh, contingency that is unexpected, and, and th those have happened, uh, and when they, for some reason, sent somebody out into a uh, situation where they were really, really needed before having this education under their belt, usually they've gone through this initial entry education process and then are sent to a unit or, or deployed or whatever the next uh, phase is in their assignment. Awesome. So. Awesome. Yeah, well, that, I think that's really great too, because I, I didn't know, I suspected, uh, but you know, I just, I think that's one of the things I want to hopefully um, be able to drill down on for our listeners is that yeah. things that you suspect or assume maybe are or maybe not but now like you said we're sort of bringing truth to power here and like right. so this is this is how a chaplain is quote unquote made <laughs> so and if if you are interested in becoming one we can stick around after this podcast and i can can uh, put you in touch with a recruiter and we can get you on the track to uh, to, 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 to do that how did you take retirees <laughs> uh, depends i think actually on the retirees on the retirees age i don't know okay I, well i uh, am a uh I, I feel like i'm a strapping young man still there you go, so. <laughs> <laughs> well sir um this has been fantastic i did want to ask you one thing um is and we, we mentioned prof, uh, professional development and i and i i know I'm, I'm monopolizing a lot of your time here sir this has been really great great no, um, what were some of the challenges that either you faced or you understand that the chaplain corps faces um, in getting soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines to embrace spiritual development and spiritual education? Um, and you, you'd mentioned that uh, one of your roles as a chaplain is to be that counselor. So even if it's not necessarily uh, a faith-based counseling that you still are there as a mentor, guide, um, someone outside of the chain of command that they can come to with their problems and, and trust in your discretion and your uh, professionalism and your counsel. Um, but where do you find that it has been a challenge to mentor uh, these young people, especially as we talked about, um, the current generation seems to be very apprehensive about institutions mm -hmm. uh, and the trust in institutions. And obviously, as a chaplain, you represent multiple institutions. Yes, right. Um, right. So, where are some of those yes. challenges, and then also where are some of those successes? Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, some of the challenges are sometimes. Uh, around finding a, a time and a, a place just because our, our military is so, so busy and so, so many requirements placed upon uh, military responding to missions, responding to emergencies, responding to 
annual the training past, plans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every everything, and so so finding just simply a, a time to 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 fit it fit it in, and uh, and of course it comes down to uh, you know it, it's really a uh, uh, this is the religious plan not of the chaplain. I'm not there with my religious plan, but it's actually a product and a, a responsibility of the commander. So it, it's really the, the, the commander's religious plan to make sure that soldiers have these opportunities. So uh, a lot of this uh, goes down to a chaplain and a command commander developing a, a relationship and the chaplain being able to have the commander's ear and, and convey to the commander how important it is to have these kinds of opportunities for, for personal growth or for for spiritual spiritual care for spiritual growth uh, right now on the army side of things there's a whole uh, resource that's being released across the force for uh, spiritual care and and development and it, it's receiving receiving challenges I mean receiving support at the very very highest highest levels and so, so with that kind of emphasis coming from the, the highest levels of the service, when it gets down to where the rubber's meeting the road, commanders are going to say, oh, yeah, that, that's a program that's actually coming to us from, uh, from the Army, from the, the Marines, and, and we want to make sure that we give the chaplain a chance to implement that, whether it's some kind of uh, uh, you know, resilience training or you know integrity training or, or whatever it might be so 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 to some extent there are some things that are being driven as as uh emphases that the commander is getting from uh, above and others are simply that the chaplain needs to make sure that the commander is aware of and and has has these tools the chaplain has a toolbox that if if he or she doesn't let the command know that I've got these tools that you can use to benefit your soldiers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if developing that relationship, letting them know that there are tools for, for these various uh, aspects that we can bring to the table and, and help our, our soldiers to grow. So it's, it's so part of it is time. Part of it is, is uh, developing the connection with the command that, that's going to trust the chaplain to have the time and make the time and then and then a, a large part of it again goes back to being where the where the soldiers are and uh you know if, if soldiers have this distrust of an institution represented by the chaplain and if the chaplain is only going to sit around in a chapel or in an office all the time well those soldiers aren't going to be receiving Mm -hmm. what the chaplain has to offer and so the chaplain's got to be willing to to do the muddy boots to go to the places that are uncomfortable to on the on the when the theater to go into places that can be dangerous sometimes but to go to the soldiers or be among the soldiers and and without going out and being with them uh never going to build those relationships and have that opportunity and 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 also that goes a long way with with uh, building the trust of the command. If the commander 
doesn't ever see the chaplain. The commander's out making making mm-hmm. rounds and never encounters a chaplain out there because the chaplain is is back in a uh, garrison setting. Well, the commander's not going to be as inclined to call on that chaplain or pull that chaplain in for something. But if the commander's out and about, or or if the command commander takes a chaplain chaplain with them, I mean that's yeah, as a commander maybe going out onto. Uh, point to check on some soldiers that are in a remote, more remote area, you know, chaplain, jump on the helicopter, jump in the vehicle and go and be with the commander to, to get out there and, and make those connections. Nice. So, so, so it's, a, a, I guess, a, you know, a good word is for it, it would be, be proactive for the chaplain yeah. to constantly just be scanning for opportunities to be proactive in doing the ministry and the mission and being where, where the need is mm-hmm. and doing that. Yeah, engaged. Uh, I like that. Well, sir, I got one final question for you, and I I really have appreciated all of this time. I just feel like a sponge and just taking it all in. Um, but one of the things we ask of our guests, especially for our service members, um, is, and this I know this is gonna be hard for you, especially with some of this the career that you've had and some of the story you've already told. But what was your best day in the army? So, you know, I, 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 I you told me that you might ask this question. Yeah. I was trying to, trying to think about about it, and uh, I find that we are the worst service members are the worst at talking about ourselves. So, right, I had to prep. I had to prep you. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly, and and it's hard to hard to limit it to to just just one uh everything that we do in, in involves people and involves uh the, the one thing about being a chaplain that is so amazing is the people invite us into their lives or we step into their lives at the holiest of moments uh, the the most meaningful moments where they are uh just either in crisis or in joy and we get the chance to to be with them i i you know i've had opportunity to do weddings for for soldiers and i've had opportunity sadly uh, a soldier had a, a child who was was tragically killed in an auto accident and and uh the soldier turned to to the chaplain for counsel and ultimately to do that to do that service and so so we have so many holy moments when we engage with people and uh and so i thought about some of those and and i also thought about over the last after i finished it at central command in 2015 i came to the pentagon and was full-time there and uh and had two hats there one was in the chief of chaplain's office and there i was receiving requests from the field to send chaplains forward to basically to provide for religious coverage that there was a shortage of. And so I had a had a, a, a number of rabbis and Catholic priests, and I was putting them on orders and sending them to places where they were most needed. And, and so that was a marvelous ministry. And then the other hat I wore there was actually to go into the basement of the Pentagon and be the chaplain of the army uh, operations center and if that wasn't a a experience it was just rich and and uh 
and and so so meaningful to be you know walking the halls there and in ministry to people and and then in ministry by walking around is one thing that that mm -hmm. we just do as, as chaplains and that was so marvelous to to do that and uh and so i thought it had, had to be something from there but then i thought back though and went way back to that experience i told you about when i was uh called up to be the deputy pentagon chaplain and and suddenly became the acting pentagon chaplain <laughs> and uh an experience around that and i'm going to tell you i'll close and tell you that because that was a a highlight uh that, that still is one of the best days whenever i think about the time in the army but but one thing that they have uh there at the pentagon and if you've not seen this you, you'll want to take a trip in there sometime to, to see it is on the site where the plane crashed on on 9 11. uh that has has been turned into a chapel that is the pentagon chapel and so when i was the acting pentagon chaplain that was my that was my chapel so so to speak and and that was just a marvelous holy place i i tear up as i think about it and would, would tear up anytime i'd be in there for a service because to think of that that place it was a a place of you know tragedy and such great pain and 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 fear and death but has been transformed into a place of of, of holiness a, a place of, of worship and and indeed it is used every day of the week for some kind of, of a service and and it gets transformed from a you know episcopal service that happens at noontime on wednesdays to a catholic mass on thursdays at 11 to a prayer service for islamic soldiers on fridays and and that space of of crisis and hatred is is the pentagon chapel that is so beautiful and so shortly after i had shown up there at the pentagon it was uh, it was getting to be hanukkah and there was going to be a kickoff service in that chapel for for hanukkah and it was going to be around seems like it was around 11 o'clock or so on a on a friday and and at that point there was a rabbi that came in from outside i don't think there was a rabbi available in the pentagon to conduct it so there was a rabbi uh and i just lost his name but but he he came in to conduct the service and so i was was there in my new my new role and and so uh the rabbi said well come on over and and be here for our hanukkah service it'd be nice if you took part and and uh he actually he gave me a a yarmulke to wear on my head and and gave me a portion of torah to to read and and so here we are having a hanukkah service and uh, in the midst of the Hanukkah service, the rabbi invites the Methodist preacher, Methodist chaplain, <laughs> to come and and read scripture. That's beautiful. Wow, this is this is beautiful. You know, the Jewish folks are here, and and I'm I'm with them, and and so that was very, was very beautiful. And we had a very nice Hanukkah service, and after the service was ended, uh, the uh, 
Rabbi said, okay, now we're going to go across the hall. We've got the conference room up there set up with some traditional Jewish foods for Hanukkah. So come on over and have some, some fellowship. And so the folks that attended the service went over and, and I went over and I was in there. I think I had a, another chaplain with me who I think was a Southern Baptist guy. So we had a Methodist, Southern Baptist and, and uh, the, the, the Jewish folks are gathered around for Hanukkah. And so then, then this is on a Friday, the there is a, on, on Fridays, uh, at that time at least, there was a, like a noontime Islamic prayer service where the Islamic folks at the Pentagon could come down to the chapel and roll out their prayer rugs and, and have a, a time of prayer in the middle of the day. Well, these folks have started to show up for their service because it's noontime and the Hanukkah Jewish folks are just finishing up. And... Uh, and as the Islamic folks are showing up for their prayer time, the, the rabbi and some of the folks that are hosting the Hanukkah service say to those hosts, well, we're getting ready to have our Hanukkah meal over here in this conference room. And you have a few minutes before your prayer time starts. Why don't you all come on over and join us for, for our Hanukkah, Hanukkah festival? And so, so, so there we are gathered around a table of Hanukkah foods in the center of the Pentagon. Uh, the, the, the Jewish worshipers and the, the Methodist preacher and the Southern Baptist chaplain and these uh, faithful uh, Muslims who are coming and, and they are breaking bread together and sharing together in this, in the, this beautiful uh, time together. And, and I look at that as a, as a highlight that's sort of symbolic of so much of what this whole ministry is about and almost see that as like a, uh, if you will, a vision of, of heaven, of the kingdom of God, if, if you will, the varieties of people gathered around the table. And, and where, where does that ever happen? How many places, I can honestly say in my 30 plus years of being a pastor of a local church, I can't say that I've ever had a dinner in the church basement where I had folks from the synagogue and folks from the mosque and folks from my congregation all together at one time. And, and, uh, and yet that happened um, as part of my service as an army chaplain at the Pentagon. And so that, that's just a, a, I guess, a symbol of the whole, the whole thing and kind of what still touches my heart and uh, is so, so beautiful and, and meaningful. So, so my best day in the army was probably a day when all of the God's people were gathered around the table. Yeah, that, that's an amazing story. And especially to think that that was the site where some, you know, a, a force had tried to divide us Yes, and yes. to exacerbate um, our religion, you know, take advantage of our religious plurality. Um, right. And yet, it was our religious plurality that that really shone through there. Mm, definitely. Um, yeah, that's an amazing story. That's great story. And, I, and that's a perfect way to uh, close this interview, sir. So thank you so much for sharing some of your life, some of your experiences, um, and giving us a little bit of insight into what the Chaplain Corps does and um, what Wesley Theological is doing. Um, and so, sir, so you were on LinkedIn, is that correct? Yes, yes. Yes. Um, so James R. Driscoll, uh, Colonel retired U.S. Army on LinkedIn, yes. uh, Wesley Theological Seminary. Um, please check him out on, is it Wesley? 
Wesleyseminary.edu. Wesleyseminary.edu. Go there and, and you can see uh, all the things Wesley Seminary is doing and, and you can see some of, uh, there's a section there under Doctor of Ministry and you can see what we're doing in, in uh, Doctor of Ministry for, for military chaplains. Yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to be with us today, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Vic. This has been an honor. It's been fun. It's been a privilege. And uh, I am just just so, so glad to, to make your acquaintance and have the chance to, to do this with you today. So thank you so absolutely. much. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll definitely be in touch. Yes. Okay. Okay. Right. Very thank good. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. We have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Leatherneck magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scuttlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.